Acts chapter 6, verse 8 to 15, chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, and chapter 7, verse 48 to 60. Chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and he saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Chapter 7, verse 48. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Bijan, the pastor of our church, and a very happy Palm Sunday to you, and really looking forward to Easter week for a Good Friday service and Easter Sunday. It'll be great to worship together. Also, let me just say, as we continue on in our series in the book of Acts, my wife and I were away for the past couple of Sundays. I'm so grateful for the great guest preaching that we had with Pastor Gurma and then Pastor Christian. But today, really excited and actually feeling very burdened for the passage of Scripture that Josephine just read here in Acts 6 and 7, believing that God has a word for us today. So, I want to pray, 
And if you're willing, no pressure, but if you're willing, I'll invite you to open your hands in a posture of receiving that we can hear from God his word as we encounter it in this passage today. So Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the truth that is here. And now we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to know and understand your word, but more importantly, to be changed by it and to encounter Jesus Christ in this text. So be with us now, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. On the night before Jesus died, he was sitting with his disciples in an upper room, his friends, and they were having a final meal together. And there in that room, on that night before his death, Jesus looked at his friends and he said to them, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, Jesus wasn't being pessimistic. He was being realistic. He was acknowledging to those closest friends of his that as they went forward from that room into a world as the followers of Jesus, they were going to experience trials and troubles, something you've experienced too, that often life is actually really hard. Sometimes there's hardship inside of us as you battle things in your very own person that you're not proud of. Sometimes the troubles and the trials that we face in life are things happening around us relationships or circumstances that are outside of our control. And yet Jesus on that night, as he was talking to his disciples, his closest friends, his church, the ones that were going to carry forward the mission of Jesus in the world, he says to them, be prepared. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Now, you fast forward a few weeks and we come to Acts chapter 6. And those very same Christians are now starting a church, and the church is growing here in the book of Acts. And here in Acts 6, we see the culmination of that trouble that the early church experienced in the death of Stephen. Stephen is probably the first martyr, the first person to be killed because of his faith in following Jesus. Stephen here in Acts 6 and 7 experiences a great trial. And in many ways, death is the ultimate trial. It's the ultimate trouble that all of us have to go through at one point or another, whether it's your own death or the death of someone you love. But it's not just death that's trouble and trial in the world. It's all the things that we face that break our hearts. And yet, here's what I want to focus on today. Stephen, in this passage, is going through a great trial, a great trouble. Jesus said it would happen. And yet, as Stephen faces this great trial and trouble, he does so with incredible calm, peace, poise, and a steady confidence in Jesus Christ. He's filled with joy, even as literally the threat of death comes crashing down into his world. And so the question that I'm thinking about, the question that I hope you'll think about with me is, how can we be a people, how can we be a church in London that's filled with people who when we go through trouble and trial, which we do, which we will, that we, like Stephen, can face those trials with peace and with calm and with joy and with confidence in Jesus Christ. That's what Stephen was able to do. What was his secret? How can we be a people who can do that too? And the answer in this passage, the answer of our sermon, there are three things that if we see at work in Stephen's life, we too might be a people that experience the same kind of peace in the midst of the storm. Three things I want to show you. How was Stephen so peaceful? 
because he was soaked in scripture, he saw Jesus standing, and he remembered Jesus dying. If you can have those things that work in your life, you too are going to have this kind of peace. Soaked in scripture, saw Jesus standing, and remember Jesus dying. Let's take a look. First, what do we learn about what it means for Stephen to have been soaked in scripture? Here's a question. When you get really bad news, where does your mind reflexively go? Maybe you were at the doctor's office and you got a bad diagnosis. Or maybe you were called into your boss's office in person or via Zoom and your boss gave you information that you were dreading but you thought was coming. Maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend has that awful conversation, it's not you, it's me. And they say they don't want to take the relationship further. When you get really bad news, where does your mind reflexively go? What do you instinctually begin to think about? Where do you look for comfort? What is your anchor in the midst of the storm? Now, here's Stephen, just by way of context. He's a leader in the early church. He's performing signs and wonders that are calling attention to the glory of Jesus Christ. Stephen is doing good deeds. He's loving and serving the church, and he's teaching about Jesus. And there are some people who are opposing him, who are oppressing him. And what starts off as just theological debate turns into slander and ultimately turns into violence and the murder of Stephen. Now, here's Stephen in Acts 6 and 7, and he knows this is getting out of hand. He knows that his death is coming. He knows you've seen the word in the passage, the Sanhedrin. That's a court. He's on trial for his life. And yet, in chapter 7, as he's now on trial for his life because of his faith in Jesus, when the court asks Stephen, are these charges true? Defend yourself. What does Stephen do? Now, here's what's fascinating. We didn't read all of it. We'd still be reading it. It's a very long chapter. But chapter 7 is the longest single speech in all of the book of Acts. And all that the speech is, is Stephen telling the story of the Bible from the perspective of Christ. As soon as the courtroom asks Stephen, defend yourself, are these charges true? Stephen, in that moment of intense crisis, in that moment of intense pressure, starts talking about the story of God in the Bible. He starts with Abraham. And if you read all of chapter 7, you'd see he talks about Abraham, and then he talks about Jacob, and he talks about the exile, and he talks about Moses and the law. He talks about David and the temple. He just tells the story of God. Now, what's happening? In his moment of pressure and crisis, Stephen's mind instinctually and reflexively goes to Scripture. And he starts narrating the story of God from the perspective of Jesus. Why would he do that? Because that was his anchor. That was the thing that brought him hope in the midst of the storm. Because as Stephen shared the story of God with the people who were there with him, his own heart was encouraged. And he began to have hope. Because as he soaked himself in the Bible, as he shared the story of God, as he was telling the story of Scripture, he was remembering how God was faithful to his people in their storms in the past. When Moses was afraid and the people of Israel were in bondage, God saved them. When David was fearful and running for his life, God delivered him. 
when Naomi thought everything was hopeless and there was no future in a family, God brought surprising salvation. In other words, the story of God, the story of the Bible, is a story of God's faithfulness to his people in the darkest hour. And so here's Stephen in his darkest hour, and what does he do? He just starts talking about the Bible. Because it's an anchor for your soul in the greatest storm. So here's the question. How was Stephen able to do that? You know, here he is in his moment of crisis. His mind is racing. His heart is probably pounding. And yet out of his mouth comes the Bible. The only way he could have done that is if his whole life had been spent soaking himself in Scripture till this point. You know, it would have been too late if here on trial, Stephen was like, oh, I think there's some stuff in the Bible about this. I've got to go get my pastor and see if he can talk to me about it. I've got to buy that book or I've got to download that sermon. It would have been too late. But Stephen had spent his whole life soaking his heart and his mind in the story of God so that when it really got pressured, when the heat was really turned up, out of his mouth came the Bible. And so the question for you, the question for me is not, are you going to go to the Bible when the crisis comes, but are you in the Bible now? Are you in the Bible today? Is the story of God shaping you today for whatever trial tomorrow may bring? And so practically, do you have any rhythm for getting into the Bible? I don't just mean hearing me talk about it on Sunday. But in your own life, every day, every week, immersing yourself in a verse or a passage or a theme of Scripture so that your heart and your mind are shaped by the faithfulness of God as it's revealed in the story of Scripture. That's where Stephen was. That's one of the reasons why he had such peace and joy and calm when literally death came crashing down upon him, soaked in Scripture. Are you? Second, though, not just was Stephen soaked in Scripture, but the second thing we need to see if we're going to be a people who experience this kind of peace in the midst of the storm is that Stephen saw Jesus standing. If you have your Bibles on your phone, it may appear on the screen, but let me call your attention to 7, 54, and 55. Now, this is right at the end. Stephen has given his long Bible study. He's shared the story of Scripture. He's having joy and peace and confidence even as the mob around him is getting more and more vicious. But look with me at verses 54 and 55. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, this was the end of Stephen's sermon, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. And these people are filled with rage. But Stephen, verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven And saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, verse 56, he said, I see heaven opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen is here at the end. He knows he's about to die. But with the eye of faith, he looks up and he says, I see heaven open and I see Jesus Christ standing at God's right hand. If you see Jesus standing, your heart will have peace no matter what you face. You'll have joy and confidence even in the hardest storm. Here's why. When Stephen says, I see Jesus standing, he's not just saying, oh, there's Jesus at the right hand of God. That's great. He's making a powerful declaration. Because in the Bible, 
for someone to be at God's right hand, that's not just a directional title. Oh, there's Jesus, God's right hand. It's a royal title. Stephen is saying, I see the king. There's Jesus, the king of the universe, in power and authority. He's on his throne. He's right where he's supposed to be. And so here's Stephen, knowing his life is falling apart, and humanly speaking, his life is about to end. But as he looks up with the eye of faith, he sees Jesus on the throne. And he knows, even though it seems to me like everything is falling apart, Jesus is just where he's meant to be, and everything is going to be okay. He's at the right hand of God. And more than that, not just is Jesus on the throne, and Stephen knows that, that despite appearances, he's still the king of the universe. But Stephen says, and this is so key, he sees Jesus standing. Now that's important, because usually when Jesus is described in his post-resurrection state, you know, Jesus died, he rose again, he ascends to heaven. And usually when the Bible talks about Jesus in his ascended state, it describes him as sitting. But here he's standing, and that's really key. Because here's Stephen in his moment of pressure, in his moment of crisis, and what is Jesus doing? He's standing up for his follower. He's standing up for Stephen. And the Bible says that what Jesus does now at the right hand of God the Father, like literally what Jesus is doing today for you, what Jesus was doing for Stephen as he stood on that day, is he's interceding on your behalf. One of the great verses of the Bible, one that I go to often, Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus at the right hand of the Father ever lives to make intercession for his people. Now that's a big theological sentence, but you know what it means? Someone who intercedes on your behalf, someone who is your intercessor, it's their job to plead for you. So if you have a estate agent, you're looking to buy or rent a new flat. If you have a good agent, do you know what they do? They intercede for you. Next time you talk to an agent, you can say, you are my intercessor. And they'll say, what are you talking about? Say, it's in the Bible. An intercessor is one who pleads on your behalf, who says they want this kind of flat with this kind of price and this kind of location, and they do everything they can to make your case for you so that you get into the space or the place that you want. An interceder pleads on your behalf. And Stephen, as he's dying, sees Jesus and he says, I'm being pleaded for. I'm being interceded for. Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, is making my case. And that fact fills Stephen with joy and peace. That's what Jesus is doing for you today. He's interceding on your behalf. You say, what's he interceding about? Well, here's what he's doing. It's true that when Jesus died on the cross, your salvation was already fully accomplished and secured. So if you believe in Jesus, if you're a Christian here today, you are forgiven, you are loved by God, you are accepted into God's family. Those truths cannot change. You are loved and accepted and forgiven and freed. But you know what? Often in your life, you don't live like a fully loved and freed and accepted person. You see, even though objectively your sin has been paid for, you're accepted into God's family, subjectively you don't always feel that way. Sometimes we feel unloved. Sometimes we don't feel safe in our own skin. 
Sometimes instead of having joyful peace and confidence, we are filled with anxiety and regret. So what's Jesus doing? He's interceding. He's pleading on your behalf that the truth, which is already objectively true of you, would be subjectively felt by you. Jesus is interceding. My son, my daughter is loved. May they feel that today. They're forgiven of their sin. May they live in that freedom today. You see, Stephen here, as he comes to the end, he sees Jesus pleading for him as the ascended reigning king. It would be a great comfort to you, would it not? If you could hear Jesus praying for you in the midst of your trial and burden, well, he is. And Stephen knew that. With the eye of faith, he could see it. He saw Jesus standing. But you say, well, how did Stephen know that Jesus was pleading for him? How could he be confident that his case was being made by Jesus himself? And the answer is because he remembered Jesus' dying. You see, the reason Stephen could be so confident that Jesus was pleading on his behalf was because he remembered the death of Jesus Christ. Read with me. This is the very end of Acts 7. This is the very end. Stephen has been dragged out of the city. In a very vicious way, he's stoned to death. He's literally killed with rocks. And here at the end, we get his final words. Look with me, verse 59 of Acts 7. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then verse 60, he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I love how Luke describes the death of Stephen. He's literally dragged out of the city by a riotous mob, and he's stoned to death, but Luke says he fell asleep. He was as calm and as peaceful as one who drifts off to sleep. Here's this angry, vicious mob, and then here's Stephen, and they couldn't be more different. The mob is angry and loud and riotous, and Stephen is calm forgiving, gracious, peaceful, and looking to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he remembered Jesus dying. Here at the end, verses 59 and 60 tell us the two things that Stephen prayed. Receive my spirit, and Father, don't lay this sin against them. Do you know that in those verses, Stephen is literally quoting Jesus' words on the cross? When Stephen says, I commit my spirit to you, Lord, receive my spirit, he's quoting Jesus who said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, as Jesus died on the cross. And when Stephen prays, Lord, don't hold this sin against them, he's quoting Jesus who said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. In other words, Stephen is dying the way Jesus died, because he's united to Jesus Christ. He remembered the death of Jesus. He saw the death of Jesus. And that truth, that life, that death shaped his own. Why? Because Stephen knew that Jesus died for him. You see, I always, I always wonder, how is Stephen so gracious? Why is he praying for the forgiveness of the people that killed him? That were killing him in that moment? And it's because... Stephen knew that when Jesus was dying, it was Stephen's own sin that led Jesus to that cross. 
It was my sin upon his shoulders. It was my mocking voice that called out among the scoffers. And Jesus died for me. Jesus paid for that sin. He paid for my sin. And because Jesus died as a sacrifice for Stephen, Stephen can now pray for the forgiveness even of his enemies. Because he knows when he prays in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What he's basically saying is, when I pass from this life into the next, may I find place in your kingdom. May I come home. And Stephen knows he'll be received because on the cross, Jesus died for him. And so Stephen is able to pray with confidence in this moment of crisis. I'm about to pass into glory. Lord, receive my spirit. And that hope and that future confidence that he has enables him to be loving and gracious even towards his greatest enemies. And he dies like Jesus dies. Are you united to Christ Are you so shaped by the death of Jesus Christ that you too in your moment of crisis are able to have this kind of confidence in your future state with God? That it brings you peace in the present. That your status as a follower of Jesus so shapes you that you have peace no matter what you go through. That the very righteousness and the perfection of Jesus Christ is yours. So that when you go to God, when you stand before him in glory, you know that you're safe because you're clothed and you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. Now, even when I say that, clothed, covered, the righteousness of Christ, you say, that's a lot of theological big words. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. This was vividly illustrated to me many years ago. I was flying with someone who was a frequent flyer, someone who traveled with a particular airline all the time. And I was going with him on a trip. And when we got to the airport, I realized, oh, life's good when you're a frequent flyer. You know, it's not like the rest of us who sit in the back. So this guy, because of his status with this airline, you know, right past the big line, right up to the front to check in. Yep. You get to the gate, priority boarding. In we go. You want to stop at the lounge on your way in? No problem. It's all free. (laughs) You get on the plane, seat upgrade. And I'm getting all of that. I, because I'm with him, am getting the status that was his. I'm getting treated as someone who earned all of these things simply because I was with him. Friends, that's what it means to be a Christian. That you, when you stand not in front of the airline security counter, but when you stand in the gate of heaven, you are received as one who is clothed with the very status and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Stephen knew that. Stephen, as he stood here on this day, knew that the future that I'm about to enter into is as safe as if I was with Jesus at his table right now. And that confidence and peace brought him great joy. Now, let me be clear. In this world, you will have trouble. And the trouble sometimes is very overwhelming. And sometimes there are long nights and early mornings and stress and fear. And that's going to be true. But the question is not, will you face trouble, but how will you face it? If we can learn from Stephen what it means to soak ourselves in Scripture, to see Jesus interceding, to remember his dying, whatever you face, you have an anchor in your storm. Not a way out of the trial, but a way through it. And a way to have hope in the midst of it. So let's pray. And let's ask God to help these things not just be truths we know, 
in our heads, but truths we live out in our lives, even in our hardest moments. Let's pray as we come to our time of response. Our God, thank you for teaching us today from Acts 6 and 7. And we pray, God, that you would help us in this moment as we come now to a time of response. We pray, we plead with you that that these words that we've considered, these truths that we've declared would now fundamentally and powerfully transform us. That we would become a people who can trust you, who can live with hope even in the darkest nights. Help us today, this week, this year, to soak ourselves more in your word, to be shaped by your story, to see Jesus pleading on our behalf, to be making our case in the courtroom of heaven. And may we be shaped by his death, a death of sacrifice and love that secures us because we now have the status of Jesus Christ clothing us, covering us. Oh God, please, for my friends, for my brothers and sisters, for our church today, Help us to see Jesus standing and to remember his dying. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.